welcome to this episode of Capacity. We have Stephen Ray from Raytech here with us today. Raytech is located in North Jersey. Uh, they do AS9100 aerospace and commercial aviation work, and they've been around for quite some time, and they do some really great work. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks oh, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you started off wanting to be a dentist yeah. and ended up making parts for aerospace and commercial yep. aviation. How, yeah, how did that journey, journey happen? <laughs> well, I was going to a, a school to be a dentist in, in Hackensack, FDU, and I was working in my dad's machine shop. And at that time, a movie, a, a Little Shop of Horrors came out and Steve Martin starred in, in as a dentist and he was a very enthusiastic dentist. And I'm an extroverted person, very enthusiastic. And I said, this isn't going to work. You know, I'm, I'm, I love what I do. I'm going to love what I'm going to do. I can't do this. So you I knew was, right away. You saw the movie. Oh, yeah. Instantly. That was it. It's just, you know, who, who wants that? Who, well, who filled you with the dream of being a dentist and being able to be an extrovert? How'd you get that idea? Uh, in the first place? My buddy in high school, they said, we're going to be dentists. We were in our 20s, you know, after 1920. And we said, let's do this, you know, and we didn't know why we were doing it. We really didn't. And now he's an oral surgeon, gifted, and I make parts, you know, and uh, it all worked out. But uh, yeah, I was going to uh, school to be a dentist and I was working in my dad's machine shop. Did he run that machine shop? Like all throughout your childhood or? Yeah, he came over from Austria at 18, uh, gave up a scholarship to pursue the American dream. And he built the machining company. From scratch, like right from away? Nothing, from nothing. Yeah, wow. he worked He worked in uh, in Bendix. He he met uh, Goddard. He met Werner von Braun at 19 years old. Shook their hands. And and that was his career. And, and he started a machine shop after that. And I was working there, but that was a place that had a lot of uh, hot chips that would hit you in the back of the neck. It was a dirty, kind of grimy place, but it was a place of manufacture. But he did have some CNC machines in the corner, and they were new. And when was this? This was 1986. And I said, these are interesting machines. I said, you have... What were they? What what brand were they? Oh, uh, the Iki guys, Hitachi's and Iki guys. And they were the first ones to come over. A lot of iron on them, and they had a founder control. And Fanuc just started to enter the industry in about '79, and it was actually Fujitsu Automated Numerical Control, and they called it Fanuc, and when it entered the U.S. And these controls were great. So he had these machines and. And I, was, I said, there's no handles. There's, how, do you, how do you make a part? And, and he, he said, yo, you write a program. So with what? G&M codes. And, and it blew my mind. I saw G&M codes, servos, CR, a CRT, uh, Cartesian coordinates, things that I was familiar with. And I was just amazed at that. And I said, this is something, I love this. I love manufacturing. And I switched my major into management information systems. And I started to try to digitize his company in an analog world. It just wasn't happening. So I connected all of his CNC machines together with the DNC network. That was about 87. Well, in- hold up one second. I just have to interrupt <laughs> you. What, what made him um, such an early adopter of all these things and let you connect his machines up like there is somebody whose dad would have been like, don't, Steve, no, you don't, don't touch do this. <laughs> he trusted me. I, I was he resistant at all. He was resistant to me taking control of his business, but he, he did not mind me wiring them all up. Hmm. I was careful. 
I, I dealt, dealt with some early adopters of the Dan Fritz. These are people way back and they helped me. They helped me. I had to come up with a 50 pin ribbon connectors to 25 pin. Uh, I eliminated his paper tape reading. He used to read paper tapes of the yep. data uh, with PhotoCell. And I managed to go right into the back of the tape reader. And it transmitted the code at, and would emulate a tape reader. And that's how we loaded the CNC machines. So we would punch in and punch out. Did you ever think, man, my, my dad let me do all this. What if this doesn't work? Uh, what if you know we, we can't actually get an adapter to transduct oh, yeah. the signal or whatever? That was that was all that. Nobody held to pay, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and you were in your twenty early twenties at this point. Yeah, time. I was about 20, 21. and um, and I just you know I, I love the field and I wanted to grow his business. So how big was it then? He had like fifteen people, about twenty machines. That was enough for him. He didn't want to scale it. And I would tell him, get into other machines, multitask machines, or uh, let's, let's get into some newer technologies. But he was happy with what he was doing. Well, he b- bit the bullet with a numeral, numerical control machine. Why not go that next step? I think he didn't have the mindset, the business mindset. It was more of a hands-on approach. But you did. Yeah, he was more of a, how do we do it? I'm like, who's going to do it? Let's mm. scale it. And he didn't want to do that. I love the feel. I love machining. I love holding something in my hands and creating it, giving birth to a part. It's just amazing till this day still. But he didn't want to do that. So I started to think about my career and I started to take material science classes and I understood Inconel, Colvar, molybdenum, vanadium and the application because he had those in his shop. They were in the tools. And I got a little more of an understanding of how they all worked. And then I said, all right, I'm going to go to NGIT for industrial engineering. And we had a neighbor that was making parts 1990, probably May of 1990, for, uh, for the Apache helicopter. And, and he had a little shop in his garage. And I said, what are these for? And he said, these are the Gazintas. And I said, Gazinta what? He goes, Gazinta a pressure sensor, which goes into an Apache helicopter. And I said, which goes into the Persian Gulf. I said, that's where the oil is. So I, I felt that this would be a good opportunity. So I went ahead and... Well, and, and rewind a little bit again. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm just really interested about this. You sure. said that the shop was you know, hot chips hitting you in the back of your neck. Back of like, the neck was awful. It's kind of grungy. Describe what, what it was like in that moment. You're doing these really you know, critical high-precision parts in this shop. Uh, what was that like? That that's the thing, it, right? You're 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 in a tough environment, and it's a dirty environment. Let yet you're holding the most precise tolerances. I was blown away by that. I said, "How is this done?" And these men were kind of normal back then. Yeah, they have these giant castings, and these hot chips would be flying everywhere, and they would just go up with a micrometer and measure half a thousands, and it was nothing to them, but that's what they knew. That was an art to me. That was an art. They couldn't explain to me how to do it. They couldn't tell me how it cut or why it cut like this or why they... And you asked. Yeah. yeah they didn't know, They didn't know why. They just... I said, why you... What's a spring pass? And he goes, you cut it again because it cuts twice. I'm like, it's a spring pass because I would read and read and read and tried to take the applications to the, to the field and, and they wouldn't... You know, they didn't understand. They were just... They just knew what they were craftsmen. They were artisans and they made parts for the Alaskan Pipeline 
you know, Curtis Wright. I mean, Ferris uh, Engineering at the time before they were bought. And they were all valves and they made beautiful parts. They would take a 4,000-pound billet and make a die out of it. The forklift could, couldn't lift it. They were standing on the back of the forklift loading this billet into the lathe. And they machined it and into a beautiful die. I just, I, this stuff blew me away, but I didn't want to do it because hence the hot chips and it's not for me, you know. You're going to poke your eye out, right? So, so I didn't, that wasn't for me, but the CNC was. I was intrigued by that. That was that and was amazing. You said it was in the corner of the shop. Yeah, not, he had it off on the sides. Not, the, not prominent. No, it was off to the sides because it was a special area. What was it making? Uh, same parts. Same parts. Same parts at a bar stock, not casting. And you're starting to do a little bit of production work. And I said, oh. So, was it obvious to you that that was the future, but not that obvious to them? It was obvious to me that I, I, I love that. It blew, it blew me away. This, I just... I just couldn't get enough of it. And, and he, he had a wireframe graphics programming system and I helped him with that. He didn't quite understand it, but he knew enough to help himself. And again, this is early 1990. This is like 89, 90. Yeah. Yep. And, but he made it, he made it work. And, and it was, this was like the third industrial revolution that was occurring. And, and I wanted to know more. So I read everything I could talk to whomever I could. And, there no wasn't YouTube much back then. What's that? No YouTube back then. Nothing. No. How, how did you no, learn? There's no Googleization of anything. Books, talking to people. Can like at the library. A library, buying books, going, going to a bookstore, finding a book on machine technologies, um, going to auctions. And the old engineering manuals were there. Stuff from the 20s and 30s. And how to sketch by hand. How to, how to interpret a drawing. How... How, why, what's a cutting rake? They, they were clean and descriptive, not that technical. It, these were tools that had a rake, uh, back angles, and they explained it because you were grinding by hand. And I was able to see what that meant, what that was about. And, and I understood plastic deformation of material. Once you get into a cut, it tears like a shirt gently. Once you get the, the cut flowing, the chip flowing over the, over the insert. And that's a... And I'm like, this is more of a science than an art. And I wanted to know more and more about it. But the machinists that were working at the shop, they knew it more like an art. They, yeah, it was an art. Your form language for them. didn't connect quite as no. much. But they got they knew it too. Yeah. Yeah. They had a they had to turn um helical threads, uh, and they also had to turn helical grooves on the pins, on the dies, and they had a gearbox. And they kept playing with the gears to try and get uh, linear ratio. In other words, four rotations per foot. What simple? They couldn't figure it out because the the had to turn four times, and they couldn't figure it out. And they kept changing gears, driver over the driven. And I said, just solve it algebraically. Here, x y. Here, you know what these two are. Here's your variable. And they hated me. They hated me. But they kept that paper at their in their toolbox. And every time they did the job, they went back to it. And they said, you don't, you don't, you don't have the education to know this. I'm like. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what I'm really interested in is like, obviously we know now that we added different axes to these machines. We added different steps to them. Yep. But what did it feel like at the time? Were, they, were these machines kind of seen as toys or like maybe very niche applications? Were these machinists still very much focused on their manual machining? They, they were making the manual machining more profitable. Um, you, you got to get more out per hour. While the, 
while the machine was running, someone would set up another machine and was producing a part. Rather have a, a person on a turret lathe standing there, a manual lathe, the entire time, you could walk away. So you put your, so your setup time was reduced um, the second time around. And you just put the bar stock in and it made parts. So instead of making $40 an hour, he was making $200 an hour. So that's how they thought about it. It wasn't about being able to make different types of parts. It was just about taking the current production and yeah, making it yeah, faster. Yeah, the capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, monetizing this, this part, getting more per hour out. And, but that's how the industry works. Technology wins the war. The new, so the market is, is, is parts are based on a certain price, based on a certain technology. Then all of a sudden this new technology comes out. And you make those parts on that new technology. For example, we have parts that have op one, op two, op three, three machines, uh, three lathes. But now you can do head one, op, pick up, head two, op, and mill, all done on one machine. And that's that's how the business works. Till the next round of technology comes out and makes it better, faster. So what did it feel like to be in that revolution as it was happening? Oh, that was it. You know, I, I I I love where I am now and I love when I was where I was then. It's just right now it's it's a better place. It's a much better place. But it, it just motivated me and it, and that made me want to have my own show. I mean my own company and just do this. I had How long did you spend in the wilderness reading all those books and oh, attending night auctions? And day, nonstop voraciously just were, were you will, able to like visit other shops were things pretty closed door back then closed door everything was the uh, tribal knowledge uh did you try did you try calling yeah, other cantankerous shops? types you don't go into a <laughs> shop and, and ask questions and you're bothering me get away from me and uh, and if they did teach you something it was it was very uh subjective it was their their way their tool they, they couldn't explain it to me but but i i knew what i saw I saw metal being cut by a tiny tip of a tool and watching it flow off and have a beautiful finish. And then we had offset adjustments to, to make, you know, adjustments of, you know, a quarter of a human hair and then just hold size. And this precision was incredible. Were you able to talk to the vendors, the machine vendors? Oh, yeah, they were helpful. They were they were great. They were great. They 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 motivated me in many ways. Um, we, you know, we. This little place I mentioned, uh, the neighbor that had the parts, you know, making parts for the Apache helicopter, we ended up um, buying that. That was that was what I wanted to do. So we, we being you and your dad, my my brother and I, we we basically um, I can get into figures, right? It was a lot of money. We we basically um, bought his company. He he had two years worth of work. And I said, we're, you know, I, I did my due diligence, some deep diving, and he had to sign contracts. And we bought this little company out of a garage. Uh, he, he had my number. He knew I wanted it. And he charged us about $250,000. And so I signed a note payable to him. Well, how did you, why did he want to sell? He wanted to retire. I see. He wanted, he was going to get out. He was like 65. You, you were just no brainer quarter of a million dollars. I didn't no care. I didn't feel it. I didn't, <laughs> I just wanted it. I'm like, I'm not, it's not my money. Right. I just, I didn't care. I was just driven. And what about your brother? He, he, he graduated from, he just graduated from uh, Northeastern and number one in, uh, you know, industrial engineering and, and machining tech and ma- machine manufacturing technologies. 
And he had jobs lined up with Raytheon, Breed Labs, and, and so let's try it. Let's do it. So I'm basically the extrovert. He's the introvert. And I said, Paul, you know, I'll blaze the trail. You pave the road. Let's, let's give it a shot. So were you the one that talked him into yeah. studying oh, yeah. industrial uh, engineering? No, no. he was going to be a pilot. And uh, he got into a car accident on the way to do his solo flight. And he said, that's an omen. Huh. And that was it. So that was it. He was going to Embry-Riddle in Florida. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So then he transferred to, to Northeastern and for engineering. So Steve Martin and a car accident created yeah, what you have today. Exactly. <laughs> That's that that was it. Yeah, you know, I wanted I wanted to make parts, not pain. And so and, this guy who's about to retire trusts these two kids who don't really know what they're doing. Exactly. With a two hundred fifty thousand dollar note at the time, worth a lot more than it is now. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Uh what was that like? Well, we rented space. And your dad's still operating his shop. His own company, separate. You know, and he he co-signed a, a bank loan for working capital. There was no way a bank was going right. to do that, and he wasn't going to do it. So he co-signed our little our bank loan. So we rented space, and this gentleman would come up to the shop with us and help us set up the machines, teach us how to do it, how to make these tiny tiny parts, and it was very helpful. And we got into these small parts, and and I was like, I got it. Why are you here so much? He goes, You're in my retirement. I need you to succeed. I didn't think about that, right? And so we we did. And but we had all these contracts and we were ramping up space. We bought CNC machines, uh, we bought some clunkers. We bought a, a hard inch which is very precise with an Allen Bradley 7370 control. And we also bought a, a Moog with a Fanuc control. Now, and this is like you have some experience Going to auctions, did that help? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got the stuff cheap. But there was a reason for it, you know. But it worked sometimes. You know, the Allen Bradley worked sometimes. The Fanuc control on the other machine worked. It's still working today. It's 43 years old. Really? <laughs> Japanese technology. They built it to last. So, But the Allen Bradley 7370 machine was very precise. And we started to... He was making the parts manually or an automatic machines with us. And we started to make them on the CNC machines. And so we were, we were growing the business. And basically, uh, we had like eight people. We were scaling. We were happy. These and eight people came over from the business. Yeah, we, he had two or three that were working with him. And we hired people. What was hiring like back then compared to now? You know, I kept it formal and strict. I didn't know what to ask. So I just had him fill out the paperwork. I dragged that out and uh, met with them. And I put the micrometer in their hand and I watched how they picked it up. If they didn't loop their pinky through it, you can stop right there. It's the way they pick up the mic. Measure that part. Show me. And if they use two hands to measure, you know, hold the mic with two hands, nah, that's it. We got to stop. So, so we, but it was just a shortage of skills then. Right. But we we built, uh, you know, we were busy and then Desert Desert Shield became Desert Storm and then it ended. It ended in February of 1991. We lost all the contracts. All that goodwill we paid a quarter of a million dollars for went to nothing. What'd that guy say? Sorry, you owe me. Pay me. <laughs> 20, 22 years old. 
23 years old. What'd your dad say? He's co-signing this loan. <laughs> He's just saying, you better figure it out. How do you figure that out? Right. So we went ahead and we had a niche. And so we can make small parts. So I flew out to California. And uh, this is just when there was Google Maps, not GPS or driving. I still had a paper map. MapQuest well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah MapQuest. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. So MapQuest did everything. I did a driving radius and I went out and I saw all of these companies. And Why California? That's That was it. That was where Lockheed was there. Skunk Works was there. Um, my, my buddy worked at Skunk Works. So I had a place to stay. And I went up and down Simi Valley, uh, not Silicon Valley. And that's where manufacturing was. That's, that's where we're making pressure sensors, uh, anything for flight, Boeing, any, everything was there. How'd you find them? Uh, Thomas Register. Thomas Register. The, the big, the big the green book. books. The big green yeah. books. Yeah. And beasts. And I just looked through that and kept notes and, and went out there and met, met people. And, and these was, cantankerous people, they were willing to talk to you? Well, it was mo mostly purchasing agents, but they were cantankerous in their own way. Yeah. And uh, I remember go going up to uh, Cavlico Transducer. And they were a big big outfit, top of the hill. Went in there, and I met the receptionist. I said, like an appointment. And she says, I'm sorry, sir. You, 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 need to, you need to call in the appointment. I said, can I do it in person for your purchasing agent? This is her name. And said, I'm sorry, sir, you have to call from... You have to have your office call. So I called my office. They made the appointment. And I stood there. I said, I'll wait. I stood there and waited. And, and then she called the woman who was head of purchasing. And 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 she said, yes, he's still here. And <laughs> she said, I, I, I'm, she says, I'm coming down. And I thought she was going to yell at me, you know, not because I didn't leave the building. And she says, I just want to shake your hand and give you credit for your persistence. I don't have anything for you. I can give you some quotes, but keep it up. That's what you got to do. She goes, you got to, you got to hear the grimace. You got to, this is what you need to do. You got to take, take the pain sometimes. So, and that made me go forth and try and pull more business in. And we did, we were a niche company. Did she ever give you an order? No, no, never. we were too small. I just, see. Yeah, you know, she knew I'd never shop, <laughs> but I, I thought I did, but, um, but I knew I had a niche and it was in Kovar machining. Kovar is a material that is used in a pressure sensor. And it goes inside of a pressure sensor. And Kovar is a little cavity that holds a strain gauge. And they put a strain gauge in the bottom of this Kovar component. And they fill it with oil in a cavity and put a thin what's diaphragm a, over what's it. What's special about Kovar? Oh, as the same coefficient of, as expansion as glass. So but it's it, metal. Yeah, it's a metal. And, and it's, it's an alloy. Yeah, and it, and it ha it's so it has the same thermal properties as, as glass. So... It's used in aircraft and pressure sensors. So if the sensor heats up, so in other words, there's, there's wires that are insulated by glass and they're connected to the strain gauge. And the strain gauge, they measure the resistance in the strain gauge at ambient temperature or pressure. And when that increases, the pressure goes against the face of a diaphragm like a snare drum and it displaces the oil, which moves the strain gauge, hmm. which gives you a reading. That's how they work till this day. And so I knew we, we had experience with machining Kovar. Nobody wanted to touch that stuff. Why not? It was gummy. It was difficult to work with. It broke tools. Hmm. It was, if something holds up in a, in a, a, a very difficult, hazardous environment, it's tough to machine. Sure. Because there's molybdenum, uh, molybdenum, there's nickel, chromium. It's, so it's just super hard. 
It's a machine. It's gummy. It's actually gummy. Hmm. And it strain hardens. So when you're working it, it will strain harden, which is not unlike a coat hanger. When you continue to bend it and it gets really hard, then snaps, that's what the material is doing during the cutting. It strain hardens. And that's what other alloys do in a harsh environments. They, they hold up. And, and you learned all this from the guy you bought the business yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. He taught me. Did you know when you bought the business that that particular piece of information was so valuable? No, I had no idea. I didn't know. A bit of luck. Yeah, it was luck. And that led us to making other, which channeled us into other parts for pressure sensors. And then we had a specialization. And we, we grew the business with that specialization. Just from your one trip to California? Yeah, I, I saw that. There was a market. And I got most of the business from Connecticut. Oh, we actually got two customers out of California from that trip. And um, How many so, people did you visit while you were out there? Uh, 25. It was pretty good in three days. It was, it was tooling up and down. And uh, I actually, uh, I, I snuck onto Skunk Works that day too. I was eating my friend for lunch and he told me where he worked. There's a Lockheed and it was a building on, in a Burbank airport. And I drove through the gate and, and, and then I stopped the car and everybody came running up and, and the security guard came running out and he says, why don't you stop? I go, you waved me through. He goes, I was waving you to stop. <laughs> I didn't have the barrier. I didn't have the gate, you know, and. And then who are you here to see? How'd you get in here? Why are you here? And I said, my friend Chris, he works here. And he came out and they got him and he just shook his head and says, don't ever do that again. <laughs> no harm. Did he ever give you any work? Uh, no, no, I couldn't. Get, no, Skunk Works. No, that was Kelly Johnson stuff. That, no. But um, that that just showed me that there was you know, opportunity. And um, so we, we knew we had to grow the business. And... So we, we got back with more work and we needed to get new technology. I saw what a CNC machine could do. And well, what, what made you, what told you that you needed to get new technology? Oh, because we wanted to, to do milling capabilities. We wanted to turn and drill parts. We were making- This is what the customers were asking for? Or? Yeah. We're making tiny pieces that are turned, very thin walled, small, and they have drilled features. Tiny, like 8,007 inch, two human hairs you know, bolt pattern on the face. And you're not going to do that on a milling machine. It's going to, it's going to crack. It's going to, it's going to swage. It's going to pop out. You couldn't fixture it. So you had to do it on the machine itself in the raw material when you turned it. And so the market is no one wants to use this work with this material. And there's engineers that are like, we have all sorts of ideas on things we can make and no one's, no one wants to make it for us. Is that, is that what it yeah, felt like? That's what was happening. I see. That was what happening. And, and was it kind of like a, if you can do this, we'll give you the order type of an arrangement. Yeah, they were they were testing us to see if we can make these parts, and they gave us more and more work, and uh, then they gave us Ink Canal, and and that put us up at a higher level. Um, but when you're at that higher level, how are you managing all this? Show me your documentation. How are you handling this? What was documentation like back then? Because this is now what the mid '90s. Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety. Well, so '95 we grew. That's when I went in the back of my dad's building. I had an auction and I, I took over the back of his building with our equipment. And you had an auction. You you sold your machines? My dad's machines. Um, he had a downturn in business. I see. Uh, his customers pulled out of New Jersey. They went to South Carolina. A lot of them. What was he? What industry was he serving? Uh, valve industry, uh, oil industry mostly. And manufacturing industry that was in New Jersey. 
They just pulled out. They went to South Carolina. Why? It was cheaper labor rates, hmm. taxes, environmental laws. It's just a better place to be for manufacturing, more incentives. New Jersey was not a manufacturing state then. <clears throat> and so they they pulled out and he and he just down had a downturn and he was he was older and and, and we watched us, you know, grow. And and so we had an auction, expanded, and then I said we need to get multitask machines. We need to get CNC Swiss machines in. Was he involved at this time? In his own business. He I was see. he would so watch he, us. He shrunk a little, but he yeah. still had something going. Oh yeah, yeah. He still had knowledge and he would make fixtures for us and you know, and and he would come up with these great ideas that off of a napkin, like we have to make a fixture plate, and I'd try to go on a computer, and he'd have it in his hands. He'd hand it to me. I'm just let him go, let him go. So we let him go, and he does it, and it was great to see because he was a craftsman. He, you know, it, it's like he wasn't painting from a photograph; it was in his mind, and no, no print, nothing. He just made it his whole life. He knew how to do it. How did that change your relationship with him? Uh, it was, it was, it was better. It was like, we, we were able to work together now. You know, there was, uh, there wasn't a friction of me trying to tell him what to do or him trying to tell me what to do. He, he couldn't see my parts. They were too small. So, but he could help me with the fixturing and that's what we did. And it, and it kept him busy and, and, and it just, he helped us, you know, many ways. And, and he, but he instilled in us a work ethic too. Not to get excited over things. Just stay on it. Head down. Go. Get it. Self-reliance. That's what he was teaching me when we were there. In, you know, tri trial by fire. And uh, and speaking of which, <laughs> we we had that Allen Bradley machine. And we- And you're moved into his facility by yeah, this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. We're there. And uh, we had the Allen Bradley 7370 control. And I knew this was a science and I wanted to try new tools. So we ended up getting a ceramic insert in the lathe and we were cutting metal with a ceramic insert. And it was like one in the morning and that's when you get to experiment and I was trying it out and the tool turned cherry red from the heat and it's still cut. So a reaction is to take the coolant line, the oil, and I put it on the tool. Well, it turns out it hit the flash point of the oil and I, I was, my head was in the fire. The machine caught on fire. And the machine was engulfed in flames and and my brother was there and I pulled my head out and it was okay. And the machine was burning and I'm watching it burn. And I said, I don't believe this. I'm, I said, a CNC machine on fire. Who does that? And and I said, this is the science. And we, we put the fire out and that was a lesson learned. We never bought a ceramic tool again. It's just not worth it, you know? And so we, we bought CNC Swiss machines and... And that was that was another big purchase. We needed to get new technology, and like, what was the prevalence of Swiss turning centers at that time? They just became all right at at the time when we got them. They they made many strides forward, but it was new. It was new. It was technology. It was brand new machine. It was uh, 1998, 99. and there's a picture of me with the machine still when I first bought it. It was a uh, was one hundred and forty thousand dollar. One machine. Wow. It was six by four plus the bar feeder. Uh, it was too much money. And the tool salesman kept coming by to try to sell it to me. And he says, you can make money with this. I said, it's too much. I can't service the debt on it. I don't have enough work. He goes, you will get work. You will. And 
so he kept coming by with Star CNC machine. And we ended up um, buying this, uh, you know, this machine reluctantly in a way, because he, he said, just come by one more time and I'm never going to talk to you again. Just, just come out. So we went out to lunch. He takes me out to lunch. He orders himself a wine and he has a nice dinner. And I'm just, I don't drink during the day. I can't <laughs> do this, you know? And, and he's eating and I'm having, you know, a little meal and he takes a sip of wine. He looks at me, he goes, I'm here to tell you, you don't have the balls to buy that machine. You don't, I'm done. And then I bought three of them in two years because we made the money. It worked. We were doing multitask machining. Why was it so hard to sell these machines? It's just a new a new technology that was unproven, or what unproven was to me, I didn't I understand it. But there were other people that were using. it. Oh yeah, it was prevalent in the medical industry. I see. The medical industry used it to so it was a bar fed. It had a lot of multitask machining capabilities, and that allowed us. So these tiny parts that we were doing on one lathe, and subsequently another lathe, and then another milling machine, all three ops were done on one machine. So we were able to produce the same parts, cheaper, faster, with greater profit, at a lower cost for the customer. That's technology wins the war. The new machines, the new technology based on the old market price. But once that those machines are prevalent, everyone starts to get them, the, drop, the price drops again. So we got into other work, bigger work, bigger machines. But you made enough money. To service no. the debt and, and and turn a profit. Oh, on, we were going. Yeah. yeah, it was it was good. And was he right? No, he was absolutely right. You know, he was absolutely right. And do you still buy machines from him? I don't buy Swiss machines anymore. I see. We're more into uh, bigger multitask machines, uh, Citizen Miano types, uh, Dusans, um, just bigger work. It's better value added. A lot of these small parts, I'm competing with every state. And globally, so we don't really do that. So was that the experience that convinced you that it was valuable to look at what the new machines were and new capabilities were? Yeah, that, that moment there, that was it. Te technology wins the war. I mean, always invest in new technology. A machine cannot be more than five years old. It's costing you money. They just, they're inherently faster. They do more. Is that how you operate today? Yeah. We, we, every, every two years we get a machine. You know, and except that one machine we started with, it's still running. It's 43 years old, family control. Who services it? No one. We, we do. I've, old technicians. Uh, it just keeps going. Hmm. It, it makes sleeves. It's, it makes, makes 100,000 sleeves a month. It doesn't stop. <laughs> okay, so this is mid-90s. You just spent $450,000 buying machines over the course of two years. You're making all these tiny little parts, then what happens? Well, it's uh, 2007 hit, recession hit. Well, that's 10 years later. What happened for 10 years? We, we were good. Good we were, for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. We I were, mean, that's a long stretch. Yeah, no, that was that was a good that was a good time, right? I got a family, house, it was it was working. Cars, it was it was a good thing for us. And And we, when your dad's part of the business this entire time? He had, he had his customers it dwindled down he was he was watching us you know see what we we're doing but it was it was mostly as we got into bigger companies we needed to have a better system we needed documentation we needed ERP systems we needed Excel we needed um, in that time we got a ISO registration from a grant from the state and then we we got ISO registered and we grew with that certification and we just kept 
kept growing and hiring more people and took over the whole building. So you're 22 in the beginning. You buy a business for a quarter million. You inherit a few employees. You hire some, you're at 10. Uh, and now we're in the late 90s, early 2000s. How many people do you have? How big are you then? We had like 12 people. And uh, then we went to 2007. We you know, had to drop off. And you kind of reinvent yourself. What, what happened, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, the recession happened. It was just the downturn in the economy. And, and how, how did it materialize for you? It, it was a slowdown in orders, blanket orders. Slowly or? It was abrupt. It was mm -hmm. quick. It was quick. And we just, we just scaled down. You know, we quickly right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We adapt, um, but clever. We we didn't want anybody off, so we put employees on um, twenty hours unemployment, twenty hours. You know, working. What was the work you still had left? Uh, pressure sensors, still our bread and butter. You know, we were good at it, and uh, we just developed more capabilities with that work. And it, it it was something that we knew we had to stick with. And we just, you know, continue to grow and, and develop our documentation and Excel sheets. And, and we were very good at that. Um, and it was just something that we, we knew we had to scale further. And then we got AS9100 certification. And we just acquired more machines. And this is all throughout 07, 08. Yeah. Yeah. This so if, if those three Swiss centers change your thinking about technology... How did 2007, 2008 change your thinking about business? Oh, I, I didn't have a choice. I was too far into this. There was nothing else I could do. I had to make this work. Did your brother agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had, we had to do this. And we, we just stayed on perseverance and ambition and drive and just stay on task, head down, work, get it out, reduce costs, lowball jobs, just keep the lights on, just make payroll. You're not getting paid. Anybody from the outside help? Did you ever? Mm, not really. I mean, you're on your own. You know, it's uh, more Thomas Register type of things. Yeah, I I would do marketing, pull customers in, and and that that was helpful. But it doesn't matter when when it's slow, it's slow. You find work, you try to find work, but you're not going to find a lot of work. When the economy turns, the work comes in. I don't care how much marketing you do. It just this way it goes, and that's okay. And and we just. You know, we, we grew the business more and we increased our, our capabilities and it, and it was working. We, we did How did you decide what capabilities to add? We, we needed to prove to the larger customers that we could handle the work. They wanted traceability, documentation. Show me where's the heat number been used? How many times did you use the heat number? What did you ship it on? For how many years did you use it? Do you have seven years worth of records that I can see? I want to document in 10 seconds. Show me. That, that was a litmus test. So that's when we put it in the ERP system. And but they wanted more vendors. They wanted you to succeed. Oh, yeah. You know, they, 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 they work with you. It's interesting. Um, usually it's no, 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 not interested. We're not interested. And then they come down and they bring a team down and they bring more people down and they vet you and they're investing in you. And that's, we know when, it, you know, if you're going to, if you start to do quotes and you get the NDA signed, they're interested. Till then, they're not interested. And uh, so we knew we had, we had to show them something. They asked to see it. And these uh, frameworks were somewhat new at that point in time. Oh, yeah. They were, not, they were not meant to do that. 
So what um what did it feel like to be on the early edge of that? Like, were how much confusion was there on your customer side versus yours? Like, what what was that experience like? Well, we had to figure out. Uh, okay, we quoted it. You know, we got how do we get the quote to them? We had a fax machine, and and email wasn't really around yet. And then and then email started to come around, and we realized, all right, we can email the quote. And they asked for more documentation, more traceability. And we did it. We proved it. And calibration systems had to change. What was the what was the climate like? Where was every business uh, doing this, or were there a lot of businesses that weren't willing to? Yeah, business, businesses were not willing to do it. We wanted to we wanted to climb the ladder. We wanted to go forward, always learning more, doing more, and and so we we built the system. You know, our our QMS up to attract more business, and and it's it's something that we do today still but i it, why was it so obvious to you to do this because otherwise there's, there's no trust they they don't want to inspect our parts they want to get them in and assemble them and ship them they want to know that we had redundant systems in place um they were giving us their packaging to ship to their customer so they want us to prove prove it that, that's why we did that it was more of a, like a business decision Hmm. To, to, to build their trust, to build our brand and, and win them over. And, and they gave us more. And, and that's, that's what you do. It's a value added, right? Hmm. And they're not inspecting it. So, <laughs> and that's, that's, where we, that's where we built that up. The next 10 years, also uh, perfect? No, not, not, not perfect. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with um, customers are leaving the state. Customers are being bought out. And we we ha- we have to figure out where to where to go with this business, and do we continue? And we chose to continue. And then there was a there was a discussion, though. Oh yeah, yeah. We were offered to be bought out by who? A customer. I see. And we didn't. They didn't offer us enough. You know, it wasn't enough for us, and we didn't we didn't want to do it. Did you have friends in the industry that were getting bought out? I've seen it. I've seen it, and uh, people were. Some people were selling their, their family business. They didn't want to do it anymore. Why? And uh, they didn't have that drive. They weren't inspired. They didn't have a passion for it. They were just the SOB, son of the boss, you know, and they did their thing, you know. And, and, and but we just, you know, we, we stuck with it. And then, and then. There was the, no fear that everything was going to go overseas? Oh, yeah. That, that was happening. That was happening. But. There was still work that couldn't, which was defense work, aerospace, ITAR work. That that stayed here, and and we we were good at that, and and it gets into you know what's a manufacturer? We're we're a special breed. We we don't stop. This is this is what we do. We want it's honest. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. You're physically holding something in your hand. It's either right or wrong. There's no there's no talking it. There's no legal ease to push it through it's this, this is it and this is this is what you're making so it's 2010 ish now you offer you're offered a buyout yeah. you say no what do you do next we keep building the business right are we getting turnover of machines more equipment and and then we're, we're growing again right but we we want to we want to get into bigger parts larger Why? parts there's there's more money in it. It's just there's 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 more um, 
like working with a solid model rather than a print, your customer giving you different types of components. And so what we ended up doing in this time was, was building our brand. Um, we came up, like there's a method to how we make parts. We get a customer's print. We immediately draw up a, a solid model. We look at the solid model. We look at it at many angles. We discuss the solid model. We take snippets of the model, send it back to the customer if it's not ITAR. And they like that. And we would talk about, we would, the learning curve, we were, we were getting better at what we did. We were honing our skills. We were fast tracking to a more profitable part quicker. Um, so it's kind of like laterally, we were getting more machines replacing them. That was a constant, but we were getting better at what we did. And we were, we were going ahead and realizing that we have a really nice proven process. And I branded it as ProTech, Production Resource Optimization. And they got to see how we did that. And that was a good thing. And so now we're marketing, you know, till this day with, with that process. But we, you know, we were going fine. And then we can just get into, you know, the pandemic hit. And that was really bad. We, you know. Worse than... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Worse than anything in the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, everybody was shot down in New Jersey. It was just, we were, we were a manufacturer and everything got shut down. And I determined I was an essential business. Um, But my customers, the aerospace customers, the pressure sensor customers, they had outbreaks and they needed to shut the companies down. And, and they basically said, we'll see you on the other side. We're going to be shut down for about two months. They couldn't return. Every time they returned to work, someone would get sick mm-hmm. and COVID would spread. They had assembly lines, you know, soldering lines, production lines. People were working with two feet of each other and they would just shut down, shut down. And so now all of a sudden we didn't have much work. And I was trying to pivot into other industries. And one of my customers uh, was working in an elevator company. And the elevator buttons were getting destroyed by cleaning products, by alcohol, by keys, car keys, fobs. So we, we got busy with the elevator business. We were making the buttons. Hmm. And that we put two shifts on. And we, we had one of our biggest years. I couldn't believe it during the pandemic. Just a lucky conversation? Yeah. Yeah. He goes, you want to machine these? And we took a, we took a look at it and we came up with a method. And, and it was something that worked out well for us. I don't think other shops were wanting to have as many people in. Uh, thankfully, we had the PPP to get us through. And we just grew the business. We increased our capabilities, our packaging materials, our communication. Everything went forth because there wasn't much quoting going on. It was just this one thing and, and, and get it right. Do it really, really well. And they were very happy with that. And that in turn led us to, to grow in, into that field, right? And, and then that, went, that slowed down about a, two months ago. That finally slowed down, but everything else picked up. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're, we're working, you know, like, so what I'm also doing is I'm, I'm hiring, um, you, you know, younger kids from the college technical schools. They're amazing. I'm getting the engineers, they're junior, senior, mechanical engineers, industrial engineers. I have hope. And and they're coming in and like this, this is a science. This is a science for you. I'm teaching them. 
they 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 read about machining, but they don't understand it. I said, what's happening here? And I said, you have such an advantage. You can Google. You can look at videos. You could go on Fusion 360, which is a CAM program. You can go into design work. Um, right now, what's happening with, with this generation, they're getting the, the simulation, digitizing of, of the machining process. They're taking a solid model, putting it on the screen. And the, the techniques of machining, all that tribal knowledge, it's in the software code. And now they need a tool. What tool do I use? Which, which is the tool? What, what tool do I buy? You, you, you know, with, the, with, with this helix or a variable helix, so there's no chatter. It shows you which end mill to buy, and it plugs in the speeds and feeds for you. So all that tribal knowledge is at your fingertips. And, and as I said before, you guys touch books, you touch screens. Here you go. And they're learning how to make parts faster, a fast track. So I, I see a resurgence of manufacturing in this country. It's happening. And we're closer to market. We're closer to the North American market. We're able to make iterations of products faster, sooner. We're able to get it to the market at a higher price, at a higher profit. And it changes, and we're improving it. We don't have to make thousands. We can make 50. Somebody can design something that's unique to a fabricating house online, and they produce it, and they ship it, and they have it in two days. That's, that's something new here. And this, this generation is an advantage. And, and the, the manufacturing engineers that are coming out are getting it. They're, they're, they're working on the floor. So I'm pulling them from the colleges. They're working in the machines. They got their heads in CNC machines. They're learning how things are made. How does this overtly tight tolerance affect the cost of machining? Why do you have to hold you know, two tenths when it could be two thousandths? What's the difference? Here's the difference. You cut that. You try and hold that crazy tolerance. How many, are you gonna, how many parts are you going to make in a day versus plus or minus two thousandths? And so they're understanding and slip fits, pressure fits, um, how, how the industry comes together. It's, it flows faster. And we're, we're able now to, to take all those Excel sheets. We have them on screens. There's, there's less paper. And we're, we're, we're growing a breed a new breed of manufacturers, of engineers that, that have digital capabilities and they have Google and they're, and they're, they're going to do well. And, and I just, you know, I love what's happening right now and I hope this country backs it. It's not just a pandemic thing because the pandemic, I think, if, uh, you know, we leapfrogged three, four years with connectivity. This wasn't going to happen. We were happy. We were happy the way things were and then these technologies came out and we've, and and from Zoom to 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 MRPs to ERPs to it it's it's all connected now and information is flowing like water from 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 the office to the shop floor. I I know what's going on. We see it and we share data, and it's more engaging. It's 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 everyone gathers around the solid model is eye candy for these guys. They love to see that. They love to look at it, manipulate it. And they're good at it. They know how to slice it, zoom in, cross-section it, take a cross-section, make a reference print, make a manufacturing print for this really tough thing to do that is in my mind, I know it's going to happen, but now they can see how to create it, how to make this work better. And that's, that's what's happening now in the shop. And right now I'm just teaching and learning and I have my minions. I have 
I have like six six guys, you know, 21 to 17. And they're, they're dirty. They're getting dirty. And uh, but it's a it's a different field. It's it's getting dirty in the sense of they're on a machine rather than at a desk, mm -hmm. and uh, and and they love it. How would you compare this technological era to the one that you started in in the nineteen eighties, early nineties? Oh, oh my God! It's just I, I I wish I I wish I had this technology. I wish I had this this reach this this capability at my fingertips. I didn't. It was just school of hard knocks and. And a lot of perseverance. I mean, it was it was mind numbing to, to to try to figure something out. There were no resources. I couldn't ask anybody. It's just sitting at night in a hot shop, sweating, trying to figure out how are we gonna cut this, how are we gonna drill this? And then we, we came up with techniques, you know, thin walled parts. You can't face it, you can't fixture it, you can't put it in an arbor. So we lapped it down to, to two thousandths, three thousandths of an inch. We just used abrasive uh, uh, abrasive surfaces and fixtures and lap by hand. We figured it out. But I don't want to go through that again. The cost, the mental cost in that is just, you know, right Right now there's, who else did it? People are sharing ideas. And it wasn't like that. It was more of a, a tribal knowledge, a secret. And to me, thankfully, all that tribal knowledge, it died with the pandemic. There's a new way. There's a new platform. And let's rise on that. Let's build off that. Don't look back. Just just go forward. And don't worry if you don't know. I didn't know. And I had no way of knowing. I figured it out. And you'll know. Somebody will come to you. And there, there are resources. There's, you know, the world's different now. People share ideas. And they want to show off their ideas and their, uh, how they make things. So I, I, I hope this stays. And, uh, and it's just, you know, companies like yours are... Tying it all together. Let's just live there. Build this. We need it. We, you know, machines are digitized. Everything's digital. How about the management? Why can't we manage it digitally? Why does paper still have to be in between? That's, that's my message to these guys. And, and they get it. And they, they go to the screen. They don't, they don't, they don't want to print out paper. They want to, they want to bring it up. And I facilitate that with them. So you've seen a lot of stuff. You've gone through a lot. How, how do you keep this passion and interest in the industry alive for many decades in a row? Yeah, it's, it's just something that's inherent in me. I, I can't explain it. I was, I was born to do this. That's basically it. I, I you didn't know. regret not being a dentist? No, no, that, that would have sucked. I mean, it's just, I, my, my friends are dentists and it's boring and it's just, you know, nah, no, it's, it's, I wouldn't want to do it. Just, it's not challenging. I mean, I, I know when I was a kid, I was taking my bike apart. You know, I was taking bikes apart, clocks apart. I wanted to see what made a tick. Why did it work like this? What made it work? I broke a lot of things, you know, took a lot of things apart connected bicycles you know my dad bought my brother and i bikes you know he was we were happy and i took them apart and i connected them so we could ride two at once and we flipped out you know it's just because <laughs> i stripped the nut so but i always it was always like this for me and uh again it's it's a special breed and you, you gotta love it and you gotta embrace it and you gotta love talking about it i mean just here today at fabtech i just this gentleman, I, I met a stranger. We clicked in two seconds, right? 
we just two dogs sniffed each other and we knew what we were into and it was great and and i'm happy to be here you know at, at fab tech and seeing another field and it's the same energy i'm more of a milling lathe house but these are fabricators but it's the same energy the same drive and the same enthusiasm so it's uh it's good on all fronts and i just you know we we make the parts that go into what's fabricated and we work together and uh but the two shows that have to be separate there's too much technology in each sector and you can't combine them and you have to separate them but it's good that you know i can see it online and see how it comes together so from your perspective all this experience what's something that you see that you wish more people in your industry saw oh i wish i wish they would have had respect for it back when we were giving it away no one cared you know, we gave away our industrial might for short-term profits. Did you profits. feel it at the time? Oh, I hated it. I, I put out marketing materials. Uh, I had a, I had the American flag with a hamburger and French fries. That was my ad and a part. And I said, you know, we're a manufacturing company, but too bad this is how the rest of the world sees us. You know, McDonald's, Burger King, fast food, plastic. We're not manufacturers. You're a marketplace for us. And we were giving it away. We, we let it all go away. And now with the pandemic, where is it? We need it. We need to make things. We have to produce things. Well, we can't. We, we couldn't make a mask. I understand there was no money in that. But when we did make the mask, it was not mass production. We just showed it off on TV where a robotic arm was lifting up a mask and place it into a box. It wasn't, you got to make a thousand masks at once, not two, three. So my point is, we were forced to pivot very quickly during the pandemic and we pivoted, but we didn't bring enough back. You know, I, I, I just hope we continue this, this surge. And, and when it was, when the industries were leaving, it hurt. I just said, well, this is what built the country. This is what built the United States. This is, this built our economy and, and it's okay, but it, it's building, it built the economy of China, the economy of India. And, and now they're, it's coming back to us. Uh, we're buying from them. And we need to do more here. Uh, it may not be shipped overseas, but it may be sold here. I think there's a, a price differentiator for American Maids, 25 or, or 28%. That's a kicker for Made in the USA. And I think people will pay more now since the pandemic. And I want, I want to see that happen. What's something else, some other dream you have for the future of this industry here in America? Ooh, I, I want us to, I said this 15 years ago, I wanted to be a vendor for a Tesla. I said, this guy is groundbreaking. They all told him he couldn't do it. He, he couldn't make it. He couldn't make, he couldn't make a Tesla. He couldn't make an electric car. You'll never make it. For GM, they couldn't do it. it. He did it. And he also made rockets. We need more of Musk, more of a Musk in this society, not some wealthiest man in the world, like a, a, a Bill Gates, no, a Musk, a, a doer, a manufacturer. That's my dream to see more of that here. They're out there. You just got to get, get the money behind them. But he did it with nothing. He kept launching the rockets and they kept blowing up, blowing up. And then NASA gave him the day it launched successfully. He got a $2 billion contract. And he said, why did you give me this contract? He goes, we were tired of giving it to the Russians to launch our rockets. That's not good, right? So we need another Musk. And they're out there. We're forward and not to get into our industry and histories, but 
great people do great things in this country, and I want to see that happen. But I think it's going to be manufactured items. That's 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 my my view of it. It's uh, there's healthcare is advancing. Um, let's let's advance more manufacturing capability. Let's let's build it. We have the space. We have we 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 have the schools. We have the technical schools. We got brilliant minds in these colleges and 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 these postgraduate programs. Get them. They got ideas. They invented the internet in the seventies. Kids don't know that. That was in the seventies that happened. You know, ARPANET. It's just, just do it. Do what it can. So that's that's what I hope is that. I think the pandemic brought stuff back. It made awareness of manufacturing, and it's it is. It was initially a dirty place to be, but now it's clean, and it's refined, and it's fun, and it's exciting to to have these tools and and to measure things digitally too, not just mechanically. And and I think these kids are at a great advantage because they have more resources than I did. Are there enough people like you? And how do we make? How do we create more people that give up dentistry or being a pilot or finance yeah. or whatever it is to, yeah, to do this? That's, that's, that's a good point. I, I think it's that, you know, the Yankee ingenuity, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, I don't care what you're making, but make something. I think that's, that's in the American way. That's, that's part of our dream is, is, is to create. I think you, you have to find those kids. Maybe the, the introvert who's not into sports. Put him in front of a welder. Put him in front of a CNC machine. Give him solid modeling. Watch, watch the art come out of him. I had that happen to me. Hired a quiet kid. He's making parts. He 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 grew. You know, he he, he elevated. And I think there's we need to have more of this in the, in the programs in the Votech schools and see who see who blossoms, see who who thrives in this environment. I don't think we give enough opportunity. They're out there. We just have to put it in their hands and, and see what they can do. And when they do it, nurture it, support it. If you could give new shop owners who haven't been in business as long as you <laughs> a piece of advice that would help them the most in this environment, in this technological era, yeah. what do you think would be the most valuable lesson that you have that they might not? Be, be immediately responsive to your customer. When they call, be responsive. Get the quote out. Get the order to them quicker. Get the quote to them sooner. You're probably priced higher, but you'll get the order because you were responsive and they see that. Um, the supply chain's overloaded right now. There are young supply chain managers with an Excel spreadsheet. They don't know what they're looking at, who's making what. Help them. Help them. Help them get it off their desk. Quote it faster. You can quote it sooner. You'll probably get more money because you're going to give it to them quicker. There's opportunities here. Just go and and help help them talk to them have empathy get them on the screen get do a video call and it's it's not about pitting one vendor against another it's all right if they're if they're cheaper with the same capabilities it's okay it's okay but be responsive to the customer's needs and and give them more sell them your value your value is your brand and when they see your logo they'll they'll feel something They'll feel the brand there. They'll perceive you when they see the logo and they'll give you more and they'll want to talk to you more and do more with you. So it's the key is to be responsive to the customer. That, that would be my advice right now. Um, don't try to be everything to everyone. Be a really good vendor and a niche product and grow slowly, slowly. Don't, don't, don't invest a ton of capital. 
get a hand-me-down. See if you like it. See if it's in you. See if you have what it takes to do something with nothing. How's your, how's your creative mind? You have to do creativity over capital. Figure out what's in the garage, what's in the room to make this happen versus buying a solution because that's, that's not being creative. So that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would do is to teach them that and, and nurture them and cheer them on. And, and, and yeah, talk about it. Put it on the web or whatever, whatever you want to do. You, you have a place to show people who have the same interest, right? So that, that's what I would say. So if there's some shop owner, um, customer just left them, employee just quit, machine went down, they lit some oil on fire and, and, uh, and lost a work center, uh, the business is putting a strain on their relationships or their family, what, what would you tell that person? How would you encourage them to keep going? It's, it, it's something, this is in you. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want? You went through all this. It's over. Go forward. Don't stop. Don't give up because it's just, it's just a piece of equipment and time, time will heal this. It's let time take its course. Don't, don't try to make that decision in this moment in time. Give it, let it, let time pass and then regroup. It's okay to regroup. No one's going to curse you out. No one's going to force you to change. If you feel you can do it, you know, it's the old, you're failing forward. Fail forward. Don't, don't give up. Giving up is failing backward. Go forward. Fail forward. Figure it out. Make it go another way. Regroup. Everyone's done that. And it's just, you're not a quitter. It's, it's, that's easy. And then what? What are you going to do? Quit again? Start and quit again? Be good at something. And, but if you feel it's not going to be this, try a different field and uh and that's me i'm not you know i can't work with wood i'm horrible it's just i burn half the stuff i make you know just <laughs> i can't do it I, I split the wood the screw i just but metal i love it it i see creation in that i just i look at i look at a curve i look at a, a slope and and now we're making parts better than ever they're more beautiful than ever we're putting a radii we're whatever the creative mind wants to do it can do with, with different five axis machining there's no limit if you can think of it if you can draw that and sketch it the machine will write the program you don't have to do the code it will make it for you and it will tell you where it can't cut so we're just realizing we're just scratching the surface of what can and can't be done and now we're making new alloys and it's just additive manufacturing and just there's so many opportunities. So right now can't, no, you don't want to, you know, you have resources. You have everything at your fingertips right now. There's no money. There's, there's money. You'll find it. You'll figure it out. Somebody will want it. Where can people find you? Customers, machinists, people who want advice or want to, you know, hire you to make parts for them. What's the best way to contact you? Uh, my email is s.reh or com. My website, www.rehtek.com. I love to talk it up. You find me on LinkedIn as well. And I love this field. And I, I, I will always be a number one fan, supporter of what you're doing. And it's, that's how I want to help people. I want to see people succeed. Um, that's, that's what I want to give back to the industry because I, I had a passion for, it. I still do. And, and I want to leave a legacy and I'm influencing, I've had about 10 co-ops and they're working in large companies now 
and we still keep in touch. And, and so that's where you, that's how you can reach me. And I'm always open ears, open arms, and I'm here to help. Well, thanks for coming and sharing your story. I really oh, appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much, Sonny. It was, it was awesome. great. Thank you.